Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now, I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I am married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I, I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then and you're re- Enacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? Oh, yeah. You know, that is absolutely true. And for every sex addict, no matter what their situation, there comes a time when they really have to say to themselves, What do I want and need for my life? For most men, they'll say, You know, It's as if a deal-breaking event occurred, and I said, I cannot, I can't manage this addiction anymore, and I'm tired of being someone different than who I am. And that that works right into who I am going to be talking with today. Um, I have this amazing man who is so honest, he's so authentic, he is so transparent with his life, and he wrote a book called When Shame Gets Real, A New Way to Talk About Sex and Masturbation and Porn. And so I really wanted to have him on the show because, you know, when you're talking sex, porn, and masturbation, you want somebody who can not only share their thoughts and feelings, but also talk about how we can do that together, you know? Um, I've realized, isn't this typical, uh, that as I wrote the description for the show, they edited out porn. Now, that is another example of keeping you safe and not paying attention to what the description's all about. I appreciate the blog talk. Does not want to have a blogger advocating different types of porn and how to use it and blah, blah, blah. But what do they do? They eliminate the word. Carl says that there are so many things that need to change in this culture. And he has some strong feelings about how we can change the conversation about sex and sexuality in our culture. So he knows that when we talk about social issues like sexual brokenness in our society, we also have to be creative in terms of how we can go forward together in working through the shame of that and educating not just ourselves, but our kids. It's going to be a really good show today. Carl Thomas, he's an amazing author. And again, he wrote, When Shame Gets Real, a new way to talk about sex, porn, and masturbation. Okay, I'm thinking about what my life's been like this last week. I had a major surgery 
And I knew that I would be able to work the next day. I just knew it. But everybody said, oh, Carol, take a couple days off and just lay low. So I did. And um, it, it was actually very, very fun. <laughs> you know, I'm a, I'm a person that goes in for the big ask. And I, that's a coaching principle. So whenever I am out of commission, I ask for friends and family to come by and bring me things. Bring me soup. I have the most amazing chicken velvet soup, and I've got tortilla soup waiting for me. Um, bring me movies. Bring me books. Bring me magazines. And, and that's what happened. Uh, yesterday I got, now I didn't ask for this, but I got flowers. And then I got green canned green beans. You know I live in Indiana where a lot of people can their own vegetables. And then I got canned, uh, I can't even think, it's something I don't eat. Uh, but you have it with corned beef. Corned beef and, oh, you guys know what it is. And she promised me I would think it was amazing. So I told her I'd give it to my mother-in-law because I don't lie. I said, I'll let her fix it and I'll tell you what I think. Um, and so I'm going to ask you to think about the big ask. What do you need more of in your life, and how might you go about getting that? Whose help do you need to make that happen? That's what I'm going to ask from you. Uh, I believe in it. And as a matter of fact, I, I got to tell you, when Carl sent me uh, his request, because I've had him on the show before, his subject line says, a humble ask if you are willing. Well, I'm going to say to you guys, don't go in for the humble ask. Go in for the big ask. All somebody can do is say no. And if they do, then that's just an indication that you need to go to somebody else. So when you think about your life in general, what's one thing that you would like to add to your life, but you know you need the help of somebody else? I'm, I'm, you know, I know that that's quite an undertaking to evaluate what else you need in your life. But I promise you that when you go in for the big ask, you're much more likely to make it happen. Um, and that's so important. Why? Because we create our own life. They just don't happen. And if yours does, If there does, there really needs to be, if you will, um, there needs to be a thoughtful way that you write down what you want, think about how it will affect people, and then move forward on making that happen. Now, I know there's a lot of you out there that probably just allow for things to happen right? Okay. Well, in that case, what I really want to do is I want to ask you if there was one way you could direct your life to secure a little bit more happiness or to secure an opportunity to get more out of life, what would you need? And you can break that down. You know, I always tell people to break down their needs into the physical, emotional, sexual, or um, the needs, purposeful, spiritual. Think about those needs and ask yourself, what do I need to take my life to the next level? You know, Patrick Carnes said that once you get recovery down and you're giving back to others, then you really have to ask yourself, what kind of a legacy do I want to leave? What do I want to do to leave a legacy whereby I know that I have made a difference? You know, Carl Thomas, writing this book, is leaving a difference. Uh, and I, again, I can't wait to find out what are some things that he believes we can do to make this whole process easier. Um, 
And I really want you to take a look at his new book, When Shame Gets Real, a new way to talk about sex, porn, and masturbation. Um, It just came out. So now, as we always do, I'm going to invite Carl on the show. I'm going to welcome him. And, Carl, I want to tell you, um, this book is amazing. You must be really excited about it. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's just came out Tuesday, and uh, it's been pretty fun, uh, you know, just reading the comments and things like that. So it's, it's, been, a, it's been a good experience. I'm, I can't say uh, I haven't enjoyed it. So, Well, beautiful. And let me just ask you, I mean, obviously you have been a person, you're the executive director and CEO of Live Free Ministries, and you really wanted – to have a book available to the churches so that they would know what to do, how to support people in the parish or people in in the congregation. Um, Can you share a little bit about what made you decide? Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, the short answer, the short answer is a publisher asked me if I wanted to write a book, but uh, the long, more complicated answer would be, I mean, this has been – I've thought about books in the past, but more from a bucket list, you know, that would be a cool idea, right, level or perspective, mm-hmm. but never really pursued it, just the idea of having to write it and market it out to a publisher or self – it just the whole thing's exhausting when you have a lot of other stuff that you're doing and you're invested in and just, you know, whatever. But then the opportunity came up, and uh, it was just a – I think it was really good timing because the last two and a half years or three years that I've been running Live Free with the, uh, and we also have Live Free Wise, just being involved uh, on a daily basis with, like, with the conversations of men, in my case, that are struggling with porn, masturbation, whatever, not from a you know, high level where you're just hearing reports, but you're actually engaging with these guys and you're seeing their comments and you're getting their direct messages. Um, one thing that just stands out to me is the incredible shame that, and I, I know this all too well, but the shame they feel. And uh, just trying to stress to them the idea that, you know, this this is not helping and, and the shame is holding them back from really moving forward in their life. And, uh, and you know, they goes beyond that because it just some of it's just frustration and seeing how we handle this stuff with families how we handle this stuff in the church uh, people really being afraid if you want to call it that of just having these open conversations because of the uh, taboo nature that we've given them right and the sacred cows that we've set up and um yeah just it's it's been a it's been two and a half years of that building up. So when the opportunity came, I said, "Yeah, I, not only do I want to do this, but I know exactly what I want to talk about." So it was a it was a good timing thing. Well, absolutely, and and I know your book focuses on sexual shame. Um, now I want to ask you, you know, one thing that struck me that was that you know you feel like you need to change the conversations about sex and sexuality in our culture, as, as well as with our own families and in the church. Um, and if those conversations don't change in regards to the epidemic of porn use and sexual brokenness, then we won't be able to demonstrate change. So tell me a little bit about that. Why do you believe we got to start doing it differently? Yeah, I, you know, it, it, a lot of it hit me. So we acquired, and I used to work for them years ago, but we acquired Triple X Church in March of this past, of March of last year. So Live Free Ministries acquired Triple X Church. And so that's a ministry of ours now, a website of ours. But I worked for them in my prior years of ministry experience as an employee. And Triple uh, X Church has been around for literally, this is our tw- this will be their 20th year of existence. It's hard to believe, but 20 years. 
and they were one of the first ones to the table uh, when it came to actually bringing up these topics in, in public conversation and specifically in the church um, environment. And it's funny, 20 years ago they were, they were probably one of the only or one of the few. Now, I mean, there are so many ministries and organizations addressing this. There's porn recovery coaches every time you turn the corner. Uh, I see them on Instagram. I see them on LinkedIn. There's just so many more resources and so much more attention on this thing than ever before, and yet hasn't gotten any better, right? And it's like, okay, well, if it's not the – if it's clearly not the lack of resources or the lack of options out there in terms of getting help because there pretty much was almost nothing 20 years ago, and now there's an ample uh, supply of resources out there. And situation's still what it is. It's, it's, I don't think it's gotten any worse. It's probably gotten – it hasn't gotten any better for sure, and it's probably gotten worse when you look at the – the percentages of con- uh, pornography consumption rates and things like that. And uh, that's where I just look at it and say, hey, what is, this, what is the one thing that hasn't changed that much in the past 20 years? And uh, it's, it's the conversation. Uh, 20 years ago, there wasn't, we weren't talking about the damaging effects of porn that much, right? There, wasn't, there weren't shows focused on this type of stuff. So, you know, now there's plenty of awareness in terms of the damaging effects of porn and things like that. There's, again, plenty of resources. But the one thing that hasn't changed is how we actually just talk about sex, sexuality, and these sorts of things in our families, in our churches. I mean, you know, we should have come about 20 miles or 200 miles, if you will, in, in pro- terms of progress. And we've probably really come about 200 feet. You know, I just – you haven't seen that much of a, a significant change. It's not that different, specifically in the church. It's, just, it's not that different from two decades ago in terms of our, our openness to, to talking about these things is just kind of a, a part of life. And uh, not saying it's a good part of life, but it's a part of life. And it's something we need to be talking about. Well, you know, I know that. And as a matter of fact, I mean, obviously you go in, you talk in the book about, the need to be honest and open and transparent. And and you get an article that came out in the paper. Really, it was an interview about you and your recovery ministry work and your past porn addiction. And you said that your wife really struggled with that. And, again, if we're going to really talk to people about being honest, of course, that starts with each one of us. And so can you share a little bit about her struggle and, you know, with your agreement to do the article and, and what that encountered? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, first of all, she was on board. I mean, we, we talked it out. I wouldn't have done anything like that unless she wasn't on board. But when I brought up the – Opportunity. I said, hey, you know, this guy, he wants to do an article uh, about our local recovery work, and um, this could be good. It could you know, kind of shine the light on the fact that we have a local group meeting. My church wasn't interested in doing any sort of thing like that because I had approached them, sadly. And, uh, you know, she said to me, it, it surprised me at the time. Now it makes perfect sense. But at the time, she said, ah, oh, gosh, I'm, I'm not going to lie. This makes me uncomfortable. And, uh, okay, and then we got into that conversation. And I, it just, again, never had dawned on me. She, she was worried about basically what are people going to think about me? Um, are they uh-huh. going to think, like, why did my husband go to this? What was wrong with me? What wasn't I doing? Um, you know, was I not enough for him and, and this and that? And, you know, these were things that she had struggled with that I think a lot of women struggle with when they find out their husband is doing this stuff. That's the first thing their mind goes to is what's wrong with me. But it's a natural well, thing, and she and I had I, Oh, go ahead. A betrayed partner always wonders if it's about her. Sure, right. And so, yeah. but we had addressed those things between the two of us through my recovery. Like, she, had, she knew, you know, at that point, 
at least between the two of us, that it had nothing to do with her, right? She understood that fully, but now they was dealing with that second level of shame, which is, well, what are other people going to think? Like, I know it's not that, but all these people from my church or all these people from my family or, you know, my cousins, like, they're not going to know that. If, if I assume that, they're going to assume that. And do I really want to deal with that? Do I really want to face that? Uh, what are people thinking about me while they're smiling at me? Right. And so she had to deal with some of that. And that was tough. And, you know, back then it's funny. Um, I've told other people this, you know, 10 years ago, because that article came out over 10 years ago. Um, you know, she, she was not super open about our struggles and she would talk about it. And, and she definitely was the woman that some other ladies in the church would sometimes seek out if they were running into problems because they knew she was a safe place today. Oh my gosh. Like, she's almost too comfortable with it. <laughs> like, you invite us over for dinner and, oh, why did you know my husband used to be a porn addict? I'm like, wait a minute, that's not even, we didn't even need to talk about that. What are you doing? You know, not, it's not that crazy, but she, she has no shame about it now. It's just, nope, that's just part of our story. It is what it is. And uh, if that makes you uncomfortable, that's your problem, not mine. You know, but she's, she's come a long way. But 10 years ago, is definitely a different story. Okay, and, you know, just because we do have so many listeners that are betrayed partners and, and they, you know, they are working on their own recovery in terms of trying to understand, you know, for instance, obviously with porn addiction, they assume that they weren't enough and yeah. make that public and feel very, very raw. And, and yet what I believe is, the more honest we are about our struggles, the more strength we gain from both God and from the situation. So, you know, here she was really, really kind of worried about how the article would affect the family, and it's certainly she was wondering how it would affect her. What are some of the gains that you got from, from being honest and by sharing your story? Uh, well, I mean, for me, it was, I don't know if I'd be doing what I'm doing today. You know, that just kind of opened up a lot of doors in terms of not only the local recovery work. I, I had been volunteering with Triple X Church a little bit back then, but that kind of got them more interested in doing some more work. And I you know, eventually got a job with them and, you know, uh, the rest is history, but on a personal level, just between her and me and, and, uh, and also the relationships we have, uh, for us, it was, it was a strengthening moment for the both of us because we could both kind of embrace our own journey together and support each other and kind of celebrate what we came through. Uh, but on a personal level, uh, it was just great to know that like I said, we both were kind of those people in different churches that we have attended that others would seek out when they were dealing with this because they, their assumption was, well, they're open about it, so obviously they must be a safe place to talk, you know, safe place that I can uh, go to, to to get some help here. And that was great, you know, just being able to have that opportunity to help somebody else uh, struggling with what you know is a really hard struggle and it's difficult and it was it's just nice to be able to be there for somebody and say hey look i get it i've been there and uh you know no judgment like we, let's just walk this out together and and that's been great i mean we've we've had those situations come up multiple times over the years and uh it's always just rewarding to uh to be able to be that source of support for somebody oh absolutely so now let me ask you, in your introduction um, and then throughout the book, you talked about the fact that a lot of your own shame had to do with, am I enough? And that's what you just referenced with your wife, that she too yep. asked, do I really want the whole world to know that there might have been something about me that contributed to your addiction? I wasn't enough. So now that you're really exploring this issue along with shame, I'm wondering 
you know, what kind of correlations did you see and how did you reckon with that core issue of am I enough? Yeah, I mean, I think that's honestly the biggest question that we all face when it comes to this, when it comes to shame. Like that is the question sitting right at the middle of it all is am I enough? Uh, And it's not just, I mean, that's just something we see from the very beginning uh, in the Garden of Eden when, you know, the serpent, uh, whatever, theologically, however you want to say uh, word that, comes to Eve and says, you know, he starts putting all these seeds of doubt in there. And you you can just see that the things he brings up and the objections he brings up, um, they're all related to, hey, are, are you really, you know, this person that God said you are? Couldn't you be more? Um, if you do this, you'll be this, right? There's all this temptation of you can become more than, than who you are. How do you know that what God said you are is really your your max, right? You, maybe there's more there that you're not tapping into. And, uh, and and we all know how that worked out. That didn't work out so well, right? But mm-hmm. I think for all of us, that's that's what we deal with is always this temptation and this question of, hey, Am I enough? Am I, am I worthy of someone's love? Am I worthy of someone's acceptance? Um, you know, I know for me, and I think for everybody probably, it's not a one-and-done battle, right? That is, a, that is a constant thing that you have to just be aware of and, and be ready to jump into and talk about or, you know, just think about. But, you know, I, I get caught up in it. Oh, gosh, you know, you're from a ministry level your analytics or your, your giving or whatever, some, a project you put together doesn't perform the way you had hoped it has. And you're sitting there thinking, oh, gosh, what's wrong with me? And, you know, it's just that constant struggle of pushing and trying to be better and because you don't think that what you are is good enough. And the reality is, especially as a believer, we know that, I mean, ironically, we're, the truth is we're not, we'll never be enough, Right. That, that's the truth. We'll never be enough. But that's why you have Jesus, because he is enough. And that's, you know, when we talk about our identity in Jesus, that's, that's what it's about. It's, hey, I'm enough because he's enough, right? And it's hard. Sometimes pride gets in the way, and we, we have a hard time accepting that, right, that, that I'm, I'm enough simply because he is. Uh, you know, our human nature is, no, 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 no. That's, that sounds good and all. Thank you. That sounds great. Uh, but I need to do something else. Like, I, I need to earn my keep. And that's just not the way it is, you know? It's the way we think, but it's not the way it is. You, you can't earn your keep. You literally cannot earn your keep. You will never be enough on your own. Um, but he's enough, and he says, you're enough because I'm enough. And it's one of these things where you almost just have to accept it and say, it doesn't make any sense. It goes against every natural inclination I feel right now. But the reality is I'm enough. And I have to be fine with that, right? It doesn't mean you don't. It doesn't mean you don't work on self improvement and you don't, you know, try to do your best at your job or your career or your marriage. Like, of course not. Self improvement is a good thing, right? Um, I think we should always be looking to self improve. But, but for the purposes of growth, not for the purposes of hey, this is going to increase my value as a human being, right? Right. And so. It really is liberating, isn't it, when you are really open and honest and transparent and you combine that with how things have affected you and what you want that's different for the future. I mean, you've got kids. You actually had an interesting conversation with your daughter. Can you share that with our listening audience? Sure, sure. Um, Yeah, she's... Well, she's 16 now. She'll be 17 this year. But back when this happened, she was about 14, I think, or two or three years ago, maybe 13. But um, my daughter and I are very close, which is great. I have a son, too. And uh, we went to a Phillies baseball game together. And it was just the two of us, daddy-daughter night, right? We're watching the game, mm-hmm. having a great time. It was perfect summer evening. It was awesome. And then someone starts texting my phone, a guy that used to go to a church, that I, the last church I had gone to. Um, and he started blowing up my phone about, hey, do you have any software you can recommend to help me stop looking at porn and all this and that? And I knew this guy, and we've had conversations in the past, and I'm texting him back saying, buddy, 
I've told you this before, a filter is not going to solve your problem. You have to do more work. You know, there's a lot more here than just throwing a filter on your phone. Um, I'll get together and talk to you anytime you want. He never, he never actually did that, took me up on that offer. But regardless, we're going back and forth. Uh, my daughter being a typical teen, I guess she was nosy. And I didn't realize that she was looking over my shoulder and she saw the conversation I was having and asked me, she's like, what's that about? And I just looked at her and smiled and said, you know what dad does. And she kind of laughed and said, yeah. And she said, is that such and such? And I was like, oh, my goodness. It's like, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. He, he used to go to church. I said, he's a Christian, right? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, Christians struggle with porn? I said, oh, my gosh. Yeah, yes, of course they do. I said, probably just as much if not more than non-Christians. It's, yeah, it's very common. And I thought we were done, right? I thought, thank goodness we're done. And uh, going back to the game, and then that's when she hits me with, well, you never struggle with it, right, Dan? And I was like, oh, my gosh. Um, and I had a big decision to make in that moment, which was, you know, do I lie? <laughs> um, and completely go against everything I stand for in terms of owning your story and being okay with who you are and, you know, honesty and transparency, or do I just own it and ex- explain her, yeah, that's the case, and risk all the potential emotional fallout that, that could happen. But, um, you know, I knew what I had to do, and um, I told her. I said, yeah, I, I done with it. And, oh, my gosh, she started bawling at a game. And I'm like, oh, can't believe this. Um, but it was good. You know, she's crying, and then I just said, I, I looked at her. I said, hey, listen, honey, I said, your dad is not perfect. You know, I mean, that's in the past. He said, does mommy know? I said, yeah, mommy knows. We worked through it. Um, I'm not I'm not a perfect person, but, you know, this is part of my story. And I said to her, I don't know. What What do you want? You want a, you want a, a perfect dad, or do you want an honest dad? And she said, well, I want an honest dad. And I said, well, you got an honest dad. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to tell you the truth. And um, she said, well, is it okay if I'm a little upset about it? I said, absolutely. You know, I got to give her that space to grieve, right? I said, for sure, of course, totally fine. Um, And the rest of the night was great. And, uh, you know, I got to be honest. I think after that night, we we hit a new level uh, in terms of like a dad and a daughter. Uh, I mean, I'm always close to her, but I think we got even closer because she saw she saw my willingness to just be vulnerable and open with her. She knew that, okay, hey, you know what? My dad says something. I can trust him because he told me this other thing, which is really difficult. And and he didn't shy away from it. He owned it. And so I know I can trust him when he tells me other things. And it was a, it was a big moment for us. Um, you know, I don't I don't know what would have happened if I had gone the other way. I'm glad I didn't. Um, but I'm sure nothing good out of nothing good would have come out of it. Well, and that's what I meant about, you know, obviously that honesty piece. You don't even know how that may affect her in years to come when she's struggling with something that that she needs to get honest about. And you've been that incredible role model that shared your imperfections with her. Um, Hey, I want to ask you a couple of things that have specifically to do with shame. can you explain to me, and the book really does highlight this, but can you tell me about the relationship of shame and identity as you explain it in the book? I, I'd like our listening audience to understand that. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I think, I mean, it kind of comes back to the enough thing a little bit, but, uh, you know, identity is one of these things where, gosh, we we identify as this or that. And, you know, sometimes what, what we claim as an identity is really just the, uh, you know, it's just a description, right? I, I'm a pastor uh, in theory. I mean, I am, I'm an ordained pastor. I don't preach, I don't lead a church, but I'm a pastor. Um, but that's not my identity. That's just my calling or, or, or role, right? It's not who I am. If I stop being a pastor tomorrow, it doesn't change who Carl Thomas is. It doesn't change how God sees me. It doesn't change anything. It just changes my profession, if you will. Um, and in my case, not even because I lead an online ministry, right? Or um, you, you, you name it. I mean, 
a lot of times we, we identify with certain things, we call ourselves certain things, and that becomes who we are. And then when that changes, it shakes our world. I see this, um, I see this honestly with ministers who struggle with porn because they've gone into this thing where, hey, this is who I am. I'm a pastor. I'm a leader of people. I need to be this, and it's what gives me purpose, and it's what gives me value in this world. And so when they're having a problem and they come to, say, someone like me and say, hey, I'm really having a hard time here, and I'm just not getting anywhere with it, sometimes, you know, the idea of, hey, I need to step back for a season possibly and just get things under control before I keep mm-hmm. doing what I'm doing and burning myself out, like, that idea just just completely dismissed. Right? No, no, can't do that. And why? Because it freaks them out. It's it scares it scares them to think what what who am I if I'm not a pastor anymore? Right? Like their identity is in that role, and their value is in that role. And uh, you know, it, I think it obviously applies more to Christians uh, because of the whole my identity is in is in Christ. But even with non Christians, I think. At the end of the day, if our identity, if we, if we, if our identity is wrapped up in anything regarding our performance or external measures or roles or anything like that, um, you're, you're on shifting sands. It, it's a problem because things change. Things always change. Your profession changes. Uh, you know, your performance changes, all sorts of things. And, and if that's where we gain our identity from it, how much I can achieve today or how much I did yesterday or what accomplishment I did last year. Um, you, you don't have a solid operating base for your identity. And, and so when those things change, your world falls apart, right? And that's why shame is so destructive because I think most of us, if we're being honest, we know that we, we fear that, hey, I, I can't keep this up 24-7. And, and we can't, like, you know, the performance or this or that. Like, we know that there's always going to be a down day. There's always going to be a setback. Um, I might identify as a leader today, but it doesn't mean I'm always going to be in this position leading the way I am, right? Like, I know that in the back of my head. There's, there's such a thing as retirement, right, someday. Uh, and that's where shame sweeps in and says, hey, like, you know, what are you? You're nothing. You you you're, you you literally have no value anymore, and that's really hard to deal with, right? Because, oh wow, what what do I do now? And so then we turn to things to get our mind off the of what we already know to be true that the thing that we're clinging to that gives us our value that gives us our identity is 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 fading away, and eventually it's going to go away. And then we're going to be left there with nothing, you know, and that's most people don't want to deal with that. And it's, again, that only happens if your identity, if you're finding your identity in the wrong things. Well, I, I really appreciate that. And that really helps explain it. And, you know, that, that can apply to anybody. Certainly people that are listening to the show have specific issues around sex, sexual uh, compulsivity and or they're in love with somebody that has sexual compulsivity. But truly, we do have to take a look at our identity should be who we are as a person. And I always ask my clients to identify 25 personality adjectives that they can use to describe themselves that don't have to do with nouns. They're not a good mother. They're not um, a great boss, a good pastor. They're actually Mm -hmm. things that describe personality that are there, whether they're pastoring or talking to their grandchild or, you know, talking. Hello? Carol? Hello? Well, he's there. 
Okay, there you go. Let's see here. here. No, I'm here. Okay, what would those personality characteristics be that, you know, would identify you? Give me five. I you something happened I guess because it's online radio so you you zapped out for a couple minutes I heard a bunch of static I heard you saying you told me about how you talk to your clients but what was the last part you said Yeah that you know that anybody could benefit from this conversation because we all do that we we think we are what we do and you know we really are human um, spirits not human doings and. So I asked you to identify five things, five words that would describe your personality, not necessarily what you do. For instance, I am dedicated and I'm disciplined and I'm compassionate and I'm empathetic and I'm stubborn. Now you identify five things about you. <laughs> yeah, um, I am caring. I do care about people. Um, I am persistent. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I'm honest. I think I'm. I think I'm painfully honest. My wife probably thinks I'm almost too honest at times. Um, I can be at times aggressive. I don't know if that's a good one. But, uh, you know, if I if I want to go after something, I go after it. And sometimes I think it's from being New Jersey. Uh, my my type A personality kicks in. Um, and, uh, well, and, that, and, and that sounds like, Carl, that determination that you were talking about when you said I'm persistent. I bet that that's yeah. aggressive. I bet that's very um, focused. Yeah, yeah, I am focused. That would be a good one. I'm focused, that's for sure. Uh, and I'm, I'm, uh, to a degree, I'm analytical. I, uh, I, I, I don't rush into things. I like to think things through quite a bit. Look at all the ins and outs, the, the positives and negatives, and you know, try to formulate the best strategy. So, and strategic, I guess, would be another word. I don't know. Maybe I gave you six now, but you did, and I love that. And so listening audience, as you're listening to Carl talk, and again, I am talking with Carl Thomas, he has written the new book, When Shame Gets Real, um, and it's about shame and it's about pornography, and it really is an opportunity for you to see how he handled things. I want to tell you that Carl has a lot of things going on. I mean, he's got this book. He um, works with people that have these kind of issues. You can reach him at www.livefreecommunity.org, or you can reach him at carl at livefree.com. Carl, what kind of work do you do with people? I mean, do you consult with the churches? Do you meet with people individually? Do you do retreats? What all do you do? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, actually, just the question real quick. If you want to reach out to me, probably the best thing to do would be um, email me, carllivefreecommunity.org. That other email, uh, it's, it's .co, but I don't use that all the time. Um, but what do we do? I'd say most of what we do – almost entirely what we do in terms of ministry is we build and foster support communities. So we have the live free community, which is an online support community for men. There's an app that they can download. Uh, There's courses and education and there's all sorts of content in there and teaching, but the main benefit of the app is the, is the supportive community with other guys all kind of on the same road. And then we have Mm -hmm. live free wives um, livefreewives.org and same thing it's a support community for spouses right because they need help. they need people to, to rally around them um, and we have a online small groups program smallgroupsonline.com and same thing so that's that's really what we're focused on is building communities and honestly at the end of the day it all comes back to the same thing because and I've said this to, I've said this more times than I can count but 
you know, we're not in the we're not in the work of how it should be. We're in the work of how it is. Uh, you shouldn't have to have a private online community to feel safe and to be able to talk about real struggles in life, even sexual ones. It shouldn't have to be like that. Um, it just is like that uh, because, again, in in society at large, but in our churches and our families, there's such an aversion to diving into these really messy but part of life, you know, uh, struggles. It's, it's, it's messy and it's hard, but it's also part of life, and we don't like diving into that. So, you know, the people that need help, they need somewhere to go. They need to have some sort of support system. And if they can't find it where they should be able to find it, then we're going to provide it for them. Well, I love the things you have to offer, and I especially love the tip in your book um, where you talk about to any kind of client, um, any kind of man, when you feel shame and you know that you need to avoid going down that shame spiral, you ask them to use the concept act as if. And, you know, Carl, I just published a book. It will be out next month. It's called Helping Them Heal, Teaching You Both How to Heal Your Relationship After Sexual Betrayal. And I talk about this concept. I think it is so important and so valuable. So as we end for today, would you share with our listening audience what you meant when you told men that were dealing with shame to act as if. Sure. Yeah, and I mean, act as if is also, I mean, that's kind of a, you know, non-clinical term, but I mean, there really is a whole psychology behind it. It's, it's very clinical in terms of the idea of if you, if you behave the way you want to be for long enough, you eventually become that person, right? You eventually become the person that you're behaving as. And uh, it sounds like fake it till you make it, and I guess it is a little bit, but it's not really. It's not about faking it, uh, but it's about acting on what you know to be true, even though emotionally or actually in terms of your feelings, you might not feel that it's true in that moment, but you know it's true. So you're acting on what you know rather than what you feel. And um, it's something that works, you know, it's been for me, for my wife, uh, even in that moment with my daughter, was, hey, right now she's asking me this really tough question. Uh, right now I don't feel like telling it because I feel like she might look down on me, but I know what I have to do. I know, I know that even if she does end up looking down on me, uh, that doesn't change anything about who I am, and, uh, and it's still the healthiest thing. It's, it's the best thing for her is for me to be honest and not dishonest. Like I can tell myself, I'm protecting her feelings, but I'm really not. I'm just lying to her. And so at that moment, you just have to act. You just have to go, even though your feelings are saying, oh, man, this is crazy. Nope, I know what I need to do because I know this is true. And, yeah, the first time, it's going gonna, it's gonna to freak you out. And maybe the second time, it's going to get freaked out. But every time that you act against that shame muscle, uh, it, it loosens its hold on you a little bit each time, you know, and then before you know it, all of a sudden, hey, you know what, you're not the guy or girl that struggles to talk about this sensitive area of their life because you've done it enough times and uh, now, yeah, now it's not, you're just acting as if you have no shame. You literally are, no, I'm sharing and I don't feel shame about it, but it doesn't happen overnight and in, in those, those uh, early moments, you definitely have to act as if you have no shame, even though it's very likely you, you, you do feel a high degree of shame, right? But you just, you can't, you can't cave into it. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I said in my book that, um, you know, that act as if is two things. It's a coaching principle to get people to um, try on the things that they know they're capable of but they're too afraid to do. And it's also a recovery principle. Um, And, uh, you know, many, many, many times I've heard that a sponsor will use this concept and say, I know you don't think you can get a job because your alcoholism really shot you down and created shame. 
but I want you to act as if you can and go out there and, and put in 30 applications as if you could, and that process yep. of doing the hard work actually gets you there. So, Carl Thomas, your book is absolutely amazing. It has come out. Where can people get it? Uh, best place is just go to whenshanegetsreal.com, and all the links are there. Uh, Amazon's probably the best place to get it, but if you don't want to do the search in Amazon, you can just go to the website, and there's, you know, all the all the links are right there. And you can also read a, um, the first chapter for free. Uh, there's like a little click where you can preview the book. Whenshanegetsreal.com is the best place. Okay. Well, I'm talking with Carl Thomas, his new book, When Shame Gets Real, a new way to talk about sex, porn, and masturbation just came out. So give it a shot. Read that first chapter. And Carl, continued success with the book and continued success with your life. Uh, you're making a real difference hey, in the world. Thank you very much, Carol. It's always, <laughs> it's always great talking to you. I appreciate the time. Oh, absolutely. We'll talk soon. All right, great. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. So, again, that was Carl Thomas, and um, his new book is bound to help give you some ideas as to how to beat this pornography addiction. And we're going to end for the day, but as I say at the end of every show, you know there will only be one of you at all times. Fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. Look for my new book. It was actually heading to the publishers um, this weekend, and I said, hold the fort, hold the fort. What I want to do next is um, make sure my references are all in line. And so it should be done today, and it will go to the publishers tomorrow. And I'm hoping that you can get it by March 1st. And listen, I know this week is coming up. It's Valentine's Day. It may be a tough week, whether you're a partner or an addict in good recovery. But why don't you use the act as if um, principle here and just go ahead, take the risk, and do what you need for your spouse as if you had the relationship you really wanted to have. Now, acknowledge If you're the addict, acknowledge the pain you've caused. Do that first and foremost and then say, but I really wanted to do something that came from the heart because this is that day that celebrates us, and so this is what I did. And if you're the partner, I'm going to ask you to take your defenses down a little bit and think about something that you can give to him that shows him that you're hanging in there You're working on getting healthy. You want him to work a strong recovery program. And you'll continue to invest in the relationship because it's the relationship you you wanted for so very long. All right. Make it a great week, and we'll see you back next week for more Sex Health with Carol, the coach.